Hi, I'm Brad Blaylock. And I'm Brad McKeon, and welcome to The Brad Report. Warning, the Brad Report contains spoilers. This episode of the Brad Report is brought to you by microwaves, radiation for your food. The Brad Report can be found on Apple, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Anchor, and Spotify. Please rate and review us, five stars only, and make sure you subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Brad Report. Last week, we wrapped up Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with The Avengers. And this week, we'll be belly-flopping into Phase 2, which begins with Iron Man 3 and wraps up Iron Man's movie trilogy. So, before we get into our summary and overview and themes and the rest of the episode, uh, we've got a bit of a strange one for you all today. At the time of this recording, my co-host Brad is unable to make it to our recording uh, because he is at the hospital where his wife is in labor about to give birth to their first kid. So he called me up earlier today and said, uh, he was just he said, hey, you know, uh, I can't record tonight. And I just said, hey, are you on your way to the hospital? And he said, yes, I am. Well, first he had to drop off his dog. Then he was on his way to the hospital. So a super valid reason to miss the podcast recording, uh, but we're praying for a healthy mama and baby and that everything uh, will go smoothly uh, tonight. Uh, So I hope you all stick with me uh, for this first ever solo Brad Report podcast episode. I know it's going to be kind of uh, awkward or weird to hear me talking the whole time and not to have Brad here, but hopefully... Uh, I'll have some good points or some good things to point out to you all about Iron Man 3 and all of the things, themes, quotes, scenes, all of that stuff, the questions, and then the rankings at the end. So I don't know when uh, uh, Brad will be back. He may be on paternity leave for a while from the podcast. Uh, but of course, we, it's super important during the first few weeks to to be there for his wife and for his son. So um We'll just see how this goes. And so maybe you all will be stuck with me for a while, but we'll get Brad back in here in the studio as soon as we can. So leading us off with our summary. Iron Man 3. After the Battle of New York, Tony is struggling with PTSD. He's having anxiety attacks. His world is further torn apart by a formidable terrorist calling himself the Mandarin. This puts him on an odyssey of rebuilding and retribution. So that's the scene. That's kind of the premise that we have going into. And very quickly on, we see uh, the word retribution. So I think the first thing that I have for us is the cycle of revenge. In the beginning, we hear Tony's voiceover and talking about 1999, how he meets these two characters that are going to play vital roles in this movie. We also see Yinsen, who is in Iron Man 1, is in, is in the cave with him. We see Aldrich Killian and Maya Hansen. And 
there the plot of this movie largely hinges on Killian, uh, who is the main villain seeking revenge on Tony. And Maya is kind of caught up in that as well. And even Tony in his own uh, voiceover is saying after the scene takes place, he's he's talking about I created demons. And, you know, that's the first line of the movie is that we create our own demons. And then there's kind of this part that he gets into who said that, whatever. But the cycle of revenge is that these people want revenge and retribution on Tony. So Killian creates this Mandarin, this terrorist terrorist organization aim of all of, of getting back at him, of getting even, of feeling validation. And that in turn, uh, Happy Hogan is hurt and is almost blown up. And in the beginning of the movie, before that happens, Tony's like, say, hey, I want to help. I'm I'm interested. I, I want to take part. I want to do, you know, I you know I can help with this. And then it becomes about revenge and seeking justice because uh, Happy is now in a coma. And Tony then wants to, he flat out says, I'm going to kill you. Uh, you're a dead man. And just how that that perpetuation of that, that continual cycle of revenge of uh, Aldrich is seeking revenge on Tony. Tony's then seeking revenge on him. And then it would just continue on and on until, you know, at the end of this movie, the it ends because... Aldrich is defeated and, but how that function doesn't, that never pans out. You know, it's a, some, a common story trope that we see a lot, but the cycle of revenge that he wants to vindicate and he wants to make things right. You know, he wants to, to exact his power and vengeance of, upon the other person, you know, from Aldrich to Tony and then from Tony to the Mandarin who he doesn't know as Aldrich Killian at the time. The second theme that we have is power and notoriety. Um, so, so Tony is in his own world. I think we we see that uh, have seen that throughout all of his movies. This is the fourth movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that he's been in. In each of those movies, it highlights how much he is in his own world of genius talent, charisma, and the thing of being of someone of that skill is that not only does he inwardly isolate himself from sharing with other people, which kind of plays itself off as a gag at the end of the movie in the, the end credit scene, but it also alienates him from other people. People aren't able to get uh, connected with him and to, to reach him because of of this talent because of his power because of his notoriety he people think they know him you know harley thinks he knows him the, um the cameraman is idolizing him and thinks that he knows him even some of his friends you know happy says in the beginning he says you know i don't know i don't know what's going on anymore we used you know this used to be simple and it's now it's gone all crazy and how aldrich at first is bitter towards that notoriety and fame and power and then he tries to to put up like that oh you gave me this blessing of uh anonymity of of being invisible of of not being the the headlines but then he wants to he still wants to do that so he can get this contract supplying the terrorist so then he can again get a military contract to get power to get notoriety to get fame 
So that doesn't really make sense in, in terms of Aldrich Killian's motivations, but there is definitely the theme of power and notoriety that is driving all of them is this the power dynamics between it's like why do they why do they want to do anything why do they want power but they because they want to be in control they they like how it feels and as it's always with with tony is that it just comes so easily and natural to him with the money the wealth all of this things that come with his his brilliance and his intellect and it really doesn't the movie takes missteps in and being able to to isolate that and to bring it out it does it in little parts and little moments but to me it seemed that if this movie really wanted to do something spectacular it would have driven that home cuz he isolates himself from pepper as he's struggling with ptsd and his anxiety and the suit the thing that he creates is even separating pepper uh, from him from tony when she's trying to comfort him when he's having a nightmare and all of those things work together to to and and power and notoriety and his isolation that that tony has created for himself so storytelling storytelling oh before i skip that skip one more point sorry about that backtrack uh, brad will edit that out maybe uh, or I will. We'll see. Uh, so there's this theme that it kind of he kind of addresses, but then it doesn't really get picked up on. The first thing he says is like, you create your own, own demons. And it tries to highlight this, this fact that you need to work through things or you're your own worst enemy or whatever it is that is plaguing you in your life. You're the real cause of it. And you have to be the one to fix those things. So that kind of plays out in the movie with with Aldrich and Maya and Extremis and all of this stuff but then it's it just doesn't seem like there's the growth that Tony is supposed to undergo in the movie doesn't really seem uh to make a whole lot of sense i know that he gets rid of his suits at the end uh because and but even that it's it's he says oh like i'm not going to be distracted anymore i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna pursue this hobby i'm i'm gonna engage in relationship now instead of instead of avoiding my problems i'm going to engage them which is is good but at the same time um what he was really dealing with was the PTSD of, of New York and not the PTSD of Aldrich Killian and Maya. So the real lesson is engaging in relationship with people while you're going through a struggles and having a team, you know, having, uh, depending on his friends, Rhodey and Pepper and even Harley and happy, but that's, that should be the lesson, but he doesn't, there's there's nothing about him working through the trauma of New York uh, with those those people in a way. It's just that he kind of decides that he needs them and Pepper saves him and, and Rhodey's kind of present but not really there. And he's appreciative to Harley, but it's it just it just doesn't see, really seem to connect. But working through your own demons supposed to be a theme. We'll see. 
Um, oh boy, I'm laughing by myself. Here we go. Uh, storytelling. Does the story make sense? First points. Does the story make sense? So I, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I was going to say, does the story make sense? I don't think so. Where are the Avengers? That's my first criticism. First critique. Where are the Avengers? Where are they? So even in the movie, Harley says to when he first discovers him and this is like, hey, aren't you Iron Man? Is like, yeah, technically that's me. I'm Iron Man. He says, well, technically you're like, you're supposed to be dead. So take that in and of itself. So you mean to tell me that Captain America, Black Widow, Nick Fury, Hawkeye, Bruce Banner, all those people like Thor, whatever, you know, he's an Asgard, can't, isn't available. All of those people aren't going to do what they can to find a terrorist organization that is on American soil and apparently had killed one of their Avengers. And they're just going to twiddle their thumbs until, oh, Tony wasn't really dead. You know, he'll he'll fix it. He'll solve it. That just doesn't make sense. You know, where if this were taking place, that doesn't make sense. That's one of the issues with a few of the movies, especially post Avengers uh, in phase two specifically that we'll get more into in the next next few uh, reviews and reports that we do on uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that where is the rest of the team? The thing is that, you know, in all other movies, you know, there hasn't been any, there haven't been any team up, team up movies like this. So you've never had to explain it. You've never had to come up with excuses for, okay, where is everybody else? But this, you actually have to do it. And then starting in, uh, after age of Ultron, you do get more of the characters crossing over into one another's worlds and seeing how they interact. And, but this it doesn't make sense that there's a terrorist that's hijacking the all of TVs and screens and all of that stuff. He's blowing things up and S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers aren't taking issue with it. So that doesn't make a lot of sense in and of itself. But if you want to say like, oh, well, they're doing other stuff. Okay, fine. The villains. The villains do not make sense. Worst motivation to be a villain in history. And as we have it with a flashback, it's 1999, you know, Tony has a one night stand with this girl and who's a scientist and his bodyguard accidentally blows it up and he sneaks out. He doesn't say anything. Cool. Okay. You know, not a very kind thing to do. Um, but I'm assuming there is some sort of understanding beforehand, regardless, not a good thing to do. Secondly, as he's drunk. There's this guy that is, he doesn't know. He's kind of fanboying over him. He's, his body is, he comes across as a little needy and yeah, I get it. He's, but you know, Tony even says like, Hey, I've dealt with this a lot. And he's, he's trying to sleep with, with Maya at that point. They're in the elevator and he just says, Oh yeah, I'll meet you up on the roof, which is clear, like no intention. And you feel bad for the guy because Man, we've all been there where we've like been stood up or we've met somewhere and you're like, man, this makes me feel um, like nothing, less than nothing, because this person that said they'd meet me here, 
does not have does not value my uh, my humanity enough to even let me know that they weren't going to come you know it's it's a disrespectful feeling it doesn't feel good you feel like nothing like there's a lot of shame and and guilt and all of those things and then after that you know aldrich is in his flashback says like you know i thought about jumping off the roof you know it seems like there's some <laughs> things going on that if someone standing you up leads you to suicide and i know this is a movie but in his own voiceover he's describing it's like this is me creating my own demons when talking about this night and so you mean to tell me that I am going to believe that these people that were spurned for one night and upset about it are then going to make the rest of their life's next 13 years of their work in trying to destroy and get rid of Tony Stark and get revenge on him? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't, it just doesn't hold up for me. And they're just, they're not good villains. And even in this, when you just don't care, you don't care about them. And you're like, that's your motivation because, uh, you know, I, that just, you just don't care about them. And they're, so they're not good villains, which is, is terrible for the storytelling. But also the whole tone of the tone of the movie, the only thing that is a through line that seems to connect this movie with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Robert Downey Jr.'s performance as Tony Stark and bringing that humor and funness and the charisma to the role. That's the only thing that really seems that you, you begin with this dark kind of ominous um, uh, voiceover. And this is uh, directed by Shane Black, who was a friend of Robert Downey Jr. I think he's the one that uh, asked him to come on to the role. The first two Iron Mans were directed by John Favreau. He stepped away for for this movie, I believe, to go and direct uh, the live action Jungle Book, and then he went on to do The Lion King, and now he's doing The Mandalorian. And he, everyone's super happy that he can just do Star Wars for the rest of his life. Anyways, I digress. There's a different tone to the whole movie. So we begin with the voiceover, him of Tony narrating, which I'm almost one hundred percent positive. This is the only movie that has voiceover in this fashion. So fanboys can fact check me, email me thebradreport at gmail.com and let me know differently. Anyways, we begin with the voiceover. A famous man once said, we create our own demons. Who said that? What does that even mean? Doesn't matter. I said it because he said it. So now he was famous and that's basically getting said by two well-known guys. I don't, uh, I'm going to start again. Let's track this from the beginning. And so he's talking about his demons. And then even from the trailer, he has a, he has a line where the trailer for Iron Man 3 says, I'm Tony Stark. I build neat stuff. Got a great girl. Occasionally save the world. So why can't I sleep? And it's setting up for this huge kind of story development of, in the building of Tony's character into um, shedding this self-absorbed person of who he was, but then you don't even really get that, which if you think about it really hard, you're kind of like, Oh no, no, he's, he takes the, he takes the heart, uh, 
uh, whatever out of his chest. He has the the shrapnel removed. He's he's willing to let people in. He makes a necklace out of it. And, you know, I I just think the whole through line of this was a missed opportunity. So at the end of the movie, you see I got pepper straightened out. But then I thought to myself, why stop there? Of course, there are people who say progress is dangerous, but none of those idiots ever had to live with a chest full of shrapnel. But now neither will I. Let me tell you, that was the best piece of sleep I'd had in years. So if I were to wrap this up tight with a bow, whatever, I guess I'd say my armor. It was a, never a distraction or a hobby, but a cocoon. And now I'm a changed man. You can take away my house, all my tricks and toys, but one thing you can't take away, I am Iron Man. But it's so it was like, oh, I'm a butterfly now. This is the end of my my trilogy, my story, but it's not the end of his story. And it's just kind of a really lame, lackluster ending where he's saying, you know, all these things are different, but he's not that different. You know, he continues to have his suits. He continues to have an amazing mansion and he, he continues to be Iron Man as he's like doing missions with the Avengers, you know, as he still has all of his suits and he creates more suits. He creates at least eight more suits by the time we get to infinity, infinity war, the Mark 50, like the, the perfection of his suit with the nanotech and he's continuing to tinker. And maybe he is doing a better job of letting people in and being able to actually admit he has problems and work through those problems. But I just didn't see a whole lot of, actual development i just saw him being himself and trying to take down a villain that had some 13 years of a grudge against him and then him coming out on top because he's the hero so let's get into some characters first off tony stark iron man you know, Robert Downey Jr., as I said before, does a great job playing this character. He really is owning it. He knows it. He gets it. He's funny. He's hilarious. He's charismatic. He's fun. But there are a lot of character points where I'm just thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. So... The big blunder, obviously, is like giving a terrorist your home address and then being completely caught off guard when helicopters attack. You know, he has this fleet of armor of, you know, and he's he's not even prepared. He's just he's just planning to hang out in his basement, in his garage, working on stuff like there's no there's no plan. There's nothing. There's just. Here's my home address. I'll be here. He's not even suited up with a functioning, his most recent functioning suit. You know, his his main suit that he he flew to when he was getting at the restaurant. And it's like, it's not even around. And it just seems, you know, I know they had to do that for, for the plot to, to get him out of there. But it just seems, it's a huge, it doesn't make any sense. So before that on live TV, he is saying that he is going to commit murder and vigilante justice like batman doesn't even do that he's just like hey i just decided you just died you know i'm gonna kill you <laughs> and it's just like what uh, and uh it just doesn't make any sense when i'm just 
looking at that and he does kill people. He shoots a lot of people in this movie. A lot of people die. And so people get onto DC about like oh, glorifying violence or whatever. Like Marvel kills people all the time. The heroes kill people all the time. Uh, other than that, you know, he's, he's super fun. Uh, the, the interaction with Harley is really a highlight to, for Tony. And he's, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's Tony Stark. He's Iron Man. He's, he's fun. He's funny. Uh, but there are some parts early on where I started to watch this movie. And then after 10 minutes, I was bored. And then I went and did something else. And then I had to come back to it and watch it again. But that's not really about Tony Stark, Iron Man. But anyways, I go, I, I digress. Pepper Potts. Uh, she, I feel like in this one, she's back to her role in Iron Man 1 where she's just kind of there. She saves the day at the end with their new abilities, which is really cool. And obviously, there's a lot of emotional stake for Tony in saving her and uh, wanting to protect her as his girlfriend, the, the woman he loves. And, uh, you know, she does save the day at the really end, which is really cool to see that her do that and kind of take on that power and that role. But it just seems really inconsistent with her character. There wasn't really anything that we know of her being this martial artist person and getting me to believe that these powers just make her know and uh, be able to jump and control them on a moment's notice without having ever used them before. Anyway, I like I said, it's a movie. I'm sure Brad's going to listen to this and be like, bro, like get over yourself. But anyways, uh, <laughs> Rhodey War Machine. You know, he's trying to be a good friend to Tony, uh, but there just isn't a lot of chemistry there. It seems like they don't really know what to do with him, you know, kind of have him as a sidekick and side character. Obviously, he's the side character. He's not the main character, but they're not sure what to do with him. You know, they do the Iron Patriot thing, which is actually a reference to uh, when Norman Osborn was leading uh, Norman Osborn, uh, Harry Osborn's father, uh, Green Goblin. He at one point he's actually in charge of Shield and becomes the leader of the Avengers. And Iron Patriot is is him taking on wearing Iron Man armor and also trying to embody like the Captain America spirit because he tries to recreate the the typical Avengers team, but they're all with villains. You know, Bullseye is Hawkeye. Uh, there's another guy that's. Um, uh, Wolverine's son uh, plays the role of the Wolverine character. Um, Ares plays the role of, of Thor and you know, you get the idea. So he, he tries to embody both Iron Man and Captain America in himself as Iron Patriot. And he, he looks like that. You can Google it and look it up. So they kind of tried to use that in this, which was fine. I guess they don't have the rights to Norman Osborn, but there wasn't, a ton for for Rhodey to really do in this, and later on he gets better, but and it it just isn't there. So Harley is one of the highlights of the film. He captures this kind of '80s vibe uh, of of Goonies of a kid that stumbles across something amazing and fantastic, you know, like Stranger Things. And, and and is taken along and goes along with it and is it is willing participant in this amazing thing that is now present in his life. It's really cool to see and it's fun to see his wonder and amazement and also his willingness to 
to to help Tony, to help the mechanic, Iron Man, this hero that he looks up to and uh, being able to experience and live that out. And he's had a hard life and he has a lot of funny lines and he's it's really cool to see how how willing he is to to be there. And uh, he just does kid stuff. You know, he freaks Tony out and then also has the simplicity of when Tony's freaking out on the road, like, oh, the suit's not charged. And he's like, you know, you're a mechanic. Why don't you just build something? You know, the simplicity of that and that friendship and relationship that they have. Aldrich Killian. I like Guy Pierce uh, as an actor. One of my favorite movies is uh, The Count of Monte Cristo with him and Jim Caviezel. I love that movie. It's uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but I think he had a really tough job here. And the character of Aldrich just does really fleshed out well. They try to, obviously, in the comics that were written, the Mandarin, uh, I'll get to, into this more as Steve Trevor, like they try to make him become Marvel's Mandarin. They give him the, the dragon tattoos on his chest that you can see at the end of the movie when he's his shirts off and he's full on extremist volcano man kind of thing got going on. Um, yeah, he had a tough job and the same with Maya Henson, Rebecca Hall. It's like, I don't care about these villains. I don't care at all. And as bad as that says, you know, when when Aldrich just shoots her, when Tony's captured, I'm just like, oh, well, that kind of settles that. You know, there's not much else to do. What else? There was literally nothing for for her to do and, and contribute other than it was someone else to kind of like give some some plot points to. You know, she didn't even really serve the plot a whole lot other than it was someone else from Tony's past that was in on what was going on with aim. Happy Hogan, uh, John Favreau, you know, he returned, he was not directing. Um, he did a, he ends up getting hurt and actually as bad as this sounds, I don't my, find myself being invested in it. You know, it's supposed to be this huge catalyst for the audience and especially for Tony to be motivated to seek revenge, to uh, to get angry. And but as an audience member and as a viewer, you know, there's not a part of me that believes that Happy's actually going to die once he's in the hospital. It's just not believable for me that, you know, if they'd actually killed him and he'd actually died. Then I would have been, oh, snap, like they, they killed him. You know, what else could happen? And it may, may even lead me to believe that Pepper may have died at the end. But as you know, I skipped over this, but when she fell into, she fell a long way and she fell down, you know, there's, there's not another part of me that says, oh, well, she's dead. As soon as she falls, the first time I saw it, I said, she survives. There's no way they kill her. She survived. She's going to have the power. She's going to come back and she's going to do something cool with it. And that's exactly what happened. So I guess the, it was just, everything was so predictable except for Trevor Slattery, the fake Mandarin. When this happened, I was so caught off guard when it was in the theater. I said, wait, this can't be right. Maybe the Mandarin is actually, he knew that he was infiltrating and he's putting on this huge ruse and, and no, it ends up being a, Trevor, Trevor Slattery. Um, 
uh, that was actually the funnest part of the movie where it's like, this is unexpected. And of course they're going to bring the, the real Mandarin back and, uh, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. But one of the cool things about this is that I think we've said this in our Iron Man one pod, but the the Ten Rings, the the sick the, the logo that comes on the screens when they're taking over the airwaves, that is the same group that abducted Tony in Iron Man One. If you look, uh, you go back and watch those movies, you can see that it's the same logo. It's the Ten Rings. So in the Mandarin was a classic. Iron Man villain, and a lot of people were upset by how they had the, how they did that. And of course, in the comics that were written during those times, if you go back and read them now, you're like, "Wow, these are really, really racist <laughs> caricatures of of Asians in general." And so, it would have been very difficult to translate the Mandarin into a movie as he was because of the the racial um, insensitivities that were written when this character was written uh, all those years ago. So Trevor Slattery, the fake Mandarin, I thought it was a fun twist. And as I'm looking back and I was preparing for this episode, I was like, oh man, this scene's really a lot of fun. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and get into scenes and quotes. This is going to be a hybrid format since I don't have Brad here with me. I'm just going to kind of go through the movie uh, and combining what scenes and quotes stood out to me. So uh, the first one is when Tony's going to, uh, he's uh, hanging out with Happy and he's just like, he said, I miss you, Happy. And Happy says, yeah, I miss you too. But the way it used to be, now you're off with your super friends. I don't know what's going on with you anymore. The world's getting weird. And I think that's really a really fun line. It's just like throwing in the super friends because that is a a DC, <laughs> um, DC, it, it used to be called um not the justice league. It was, it was the super friends. That was a show, uh, back in, man, I don't even know, maybe the sixties, uh, live Googling super friends cartoon 1973 starring the justice league. And so my, uh, fun story about this, a little tidbit, my brothers and I actually, my brothers actually had these action figures and we had the hall of justice and the Batmobile and it was awesome. And I mean, we had all of these heroes and it's super fun, but yeah, 1973. So super friends. Uh, Anyways, uh, back to the quotes and stories. So another cool part of the, the movie that I did really like is when Tony crash lands in Western Tennessee. So being a Tennessean, you know, Rose Hill is not a real place. It's a fictional town. It's, uh, it, but it is in Western Tennessee. And as a Tennessean, I take great pride in whenever Tennessee gets put on the map in Hollywood. So uh, in that scene, right after he crash lands, you know, Jarvis is is struggling in the suit. You know, the suit doesn't have any power. So he's just, he's falling asleep and Tony's alone and he's cold and he'd just been beaten. His home had been destroyed. Just try to get Pepper out and all of these things. He says, sir, I think I need to sleep now. Jarvis, Jarvis, don't leave me, buddy. And so I think this is a really good, good point where we could have like highlighted and pressed in on Tony's isolation and aloneness and being up for 72 hours. You know, he's, he's pressing He's spending a lot of time alone in his shop, building these suits and his 
greatest companion, his most constant friend is Jarvis. And even in this moment, Jarvis isn't there for him. Um, and he's like, Jarvis, Jarvis, don't leave me, buddy. So missed opportunity. But I like that line still. So when he's in Tennessee and fighting the two extremist people, uh, I think this is a great scene that really showcases Tony thinking on his feet and as a hero. And some people make complaints about, about this movie, uh, understandably so. But also, um, I think this is a comparison to uh, Bruce Wayne in The Dark Knight Rises. You know, you've got Bruce Wayne as he is Batman, you know, and Tony Stark is Iron Man. But you have them in their context of living out being Iron Man, but without all of the gadgets and without all the tech. You know, he, he's Batman, but in in a in a cave in a prison without his tech. How is he? How is he living out being Batman in that in that context in a prison with none of his gadgets in his pure will to survive and to push on? And the same way, how is Tony surviving these fights without his suit, without his tech, without the things that make him who he is? And kind of of what is a foreshadow of what the lesson that he tries to teach Peter Parker in Homecoming is that, you know, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve to have it. You know, he had to go through his time of not having his suit and making do with that. And that's really kind of cool as he's he's thinking on his feet. He's he's clever. He's as smart as ever. And he's doing that. And that's a really cool scene. And one of the uh, the quotes, it says, you rocked right into this one. I've dated hotter chicks than you. And this is after he sets that chick on fire. And she says, is that all you've got? A cheap trick and a cheesy one-liner? He says, sweetheart, that could be the name of my autobiography. Which is a really fun line. It's really cool. It's really clever. It's it's neat. Um, and also, a really good scene like that really makes this movie kind of the middle The middle part is, um, middle third is Tony with Harley. All of their interactions are super, super fun. And... In that stretch, we also get a quote from Jarvis where he says, uh, I think he's calling him on the phone where he's, he's after he's escaped and kind of like taking the car, he says, as this quote from Jarvis, he's like, hey, what's your status? He says, I seem to do quite well for a stretch. And then at the end of the sentence, I say the wrong cranberry. <laughs> uh, just like, it's just a fun and like Paul Bettany is Jarvis, who's now playing Vision in WandaVision and in all those movies. It's just a super fun reading. It's a super serious, like, it's like, oh, I'm doing quite well. And then I say the wrong cranberry. Uh, and another scene is uh, with when Tony's about to leave after Harley has helped save him. And they've got it. And Harley says, admit it. You need me. We're connected. He says, what I need for you is to go home, be with your mom, keep your trap shut, guard the suit, and stay connected to the telephone. Because if I call you, you better pick up. And he says, can you feel that? We're done here. Move it out of the way or I'm going to run you over. Bye, kid. I'm sorry, kid. You did good. He says, so you're just going to leave me here like my dad? And he says, yeah. Wait, you're guilt tripping me, aren't you? And then he says, I'm cold. And says, I can tell. You know how I can tell? Because we're connected. <laughs> I laughed really hard at that part in the theater. And then Harley just kind of finished. Ah, it was worth a shot. Um, 
The next scene I think is really, really funny is Tony when he's he's confronting Trevor and he just he's baffled by this, just as baffled as the audience is, and just all this buildup of the Mandarin being this great, amazing kind of like finally gets Tony to his wits and and he doesn't even have his suits anymore. And the first thing we get out of him is as a I wouldn't go in there for 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there, right? <clears throat> Um, my mom and dad would not appreciate this bathroom humor, but I'm going to say it's a funny line in the movie. Um, and so, uh, after Tony's interrogating him and investigating, he says, he says, ah, well, I had a little problem with uh, substances and I, uh, ended up doing things, no two ways about it in the street that a man shouldn't do. And then Tony says, next, uh, then they approached me about the rule and they knew about the drugs. What did they say that they'd get you off them? Oh, they said they'd give me more, <laughs> which I think is, is Ben Kingsley does such a fun job with this and just this, the Mandarin and you'll never see me coming. And then comparing that with the, the kind of bouncy and, uh, Oh, the, the, just like a drunk, uh, narcotics, like guy that loves football, uh, European football. And it's just like there to, to have fun and to, and to like live up life up. Uh, so the fight at the prison is also a cool, cool action with with the gun and with the, one of the gauntlets and uh, the one of the boots on. Uh, it's cool action to see that and kind of see him fly around the room. But I think what really makes that scene is at the end where the Angar says he's he pulls pulls the gun on him and he says, "Honestly, I hate working here. They are so weird." <laughs> That's such a fun, funny line. Um, and uh, last thing, I think all the armor at the end. I remember when this dude came out, that was the part that fascinated me the most was all of the variations of armor from, you know, all of the, the marks all the way up to 42. And it was it was just really cool uh, to see those, to see the variety, to see the designs, to see the different names. That's the it was the coolest part. It's a good finale. And I just wish we'd seen you know, Tony jumping in and out of more of them. It would have been really cool to see, see more highlights of Tony getting uh, back into his suit. But I guess the point of the movie was to try and get Tony out of his suits. Anyways, what can I say? I'm just a fan. I'm not the one that's writing these things. While this has been a very one-sided uh, episode of the Brad Report, we're now going to get into some questions. So the my first question that uh, I've asked this a ton of times, if you've been listening, you know, who has the best performance in this movie? You know, Robert Downey Jr. is always solid, but I think Ben Kingsley as Trevor probably is one of the highlights of this movie and just the diversity that this has. You know, Robert Downey Jr. is no doubt the star, but just in the character development that kind of is promised, but is just kind of leaves you with question marks at the end and says, well, how did he face these, these demons that he didn't even remember? You know, that's one of the things that I should have talked about earlier, but he's, you know, these critical defining parts of these people's lives of Killian and Maya he doesn't even remember 
You know, he barely even recalls them. And I don't think that can be really considered demons. But anyways, I'm getting off topic uh, because this is one of my other questions later. But, you know, I think Ben Kingsley, Robert Downey Jr. probably uh, would have to be because he carries the movie. If he's not in this, this movie would really stink. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, But my next question is, what would I have done to make the movie better? I think it had better villains, you know, like I was talking about is like, you know, Tony doesn't care about these people at all. You know, it with uh, Vanco in Iron Man 2, at least there's some kind of personal relationship with, you know, hey, my dad made that. How did you do that? And know about that. And you took a shot at me and it's like, no, your dad stole this from my father. My father's the reason you're alive. It makes that personal. And I think what would have been a cool bookend for for this is, you know, you have Obadiah Stane in the first one, and then you could have had Zeke Stane, which for those of you who don't know is that in the comics, Obadiah Stane has a son named Zeke, and <laughs> he's an Iron Man villain. And so um, I don't think he's in the MCU, uh, but he uh, he also kind of has an, um, some armor that's kind of some that's like that. And he, he's a villain. He's like one of Iron Man's top villains. And that would have been really cool to bookend uh, his trilogy with beginning with Obadiah Stane and then ending with his son, Zeke Stane. And kind of like, you know, it would have been very personal. Like Tony probably would have known him growing up. There would have been a relationship. And then Obadiah became villain and tried to, to kill Tony and all this stuff. There would have been a, a lot more stakes in it and a lot more investment and caring about what happened with the characters so but maybe we'll see him in the future uh in the disney plus shows but who knows so when i wrote these and i thought i was going to be recording with brad is this do you think we should have gotten an iron man 4 what would you have wanted the story to revolve around and as we covered on disney investors day you know there's going to be a show called armor wars and brad made it very clear that he did not care about war machine at all does not care about this story at all and honestly if there could have been a fourth iron man movie he this is the kind of story which you would have wanted of other people creating more suits and then coming to terms and combating with that but he doesn't so what we get after iron man 3 is we see tony in uh, avengers age of ultron we see him in civil war we see him in spider-man homecoming Uh, We see him in Infinity War and Endgame. So he is in five more Marvel Cinematic Universe movies after this one, which is like after his trilogy ended is pretty amazing. So I think they kind of they definitely continue his arc in those films and some of the things that he's growing and developing and as a character but I really think it could have been cool to see a fourth Iron Man movie, but they decided not to go with that way. So in the Armor Wars uh, show, since this will kind of be the only opportunity to continue with that, a War Machine roadie, he's is he's going to be finding and combating with other people's armor. So uh, maybe we'll see Pepper and Happy uh, has cameos. You know, Ironheart is also going to be on Disney Plus, which will be following an engineering student named Riri Williams as she creates her own Iron Man type of suit. Maybe she'll be in there. 
and uh, maybe we will see Harley in Armor Wars. It was uh, it was really interesting uh, when I saw him. I didn't recognize him at first, but he w- is in Endgame. He's at Tony's funeral in Endgame, kind of towards the back. Maybe we could see him. I don't know. That'd be something that'd be really cool. But that's where uh, we sit with that. Those are the questions. That's where we go. So now MCU rankings, not a lot has changed for me in this categories. Um, so for our hero, so as Brad and I go through all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, we're going to be ranking heroes, villains, and the movies as a whole. So for my hero category, I have Iron Man listed as number one, Hulk number two, Black Widow number three, Thor number four, uh, Captain America is number five right now just because a dismal appearance in the Avengers. Hawkeye number six, War Machine number seven. Still, War Machine's at the bottom. He didn't do a lot in this movie, you know? He was quickly captured and it was not <laughs> good. Um, he probably did more out of his suits. Anyways, which is Tony did the same, so I'm not why don't know why I'm criticizing that. Anyways, villains. Loki still at number one, Red Skull number two, Obadiah Stane number three, Justin Hammer number four, Whiplash or Vanco from Iron Man 2 is number five, Blonsky Abomination number six, Aldrich Killian at number seven. For movie, I have Iron Man as number one, the first one, Captain America the First Avenger is number two, The Avengers number three, Iron Man 2 at slot number four. Thor at number five, Incredible Hulk at six, and Iron Man three at seven. So, overall reflections, final grade. I gave Iron Man three a C minus. It just didn't have it. You know, it didn't have, it didn't make sense. You know, and Brad usually says that, well, I'm not going to judge him a movie or book or story for the story they didn't tell. I'm going to judge it for what they did tell. And I, in honor of him and his absence, and um, I'm going to judge this is that the story that they told kind of stunk. You know, it wasn't really good. It didn't make a lot of sense. It was entertaining. Sure. And a lot of Starbucks fans are probably going to knock me for this, but with the Marvel cinematic universe, it's like Starbucks. You know what you're going to get, but is it, it's not going to knock your socks off. You know, it's you, every time you show up, it's, you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to get an action comedy. That's going to entertain me. have some cool action set pieces, some funny one liners. And that is at least the minimum. And that's what this brings in. And so I don't want to disrespect any like director Shane black. Cause, um, but like even the end credits that rolled, you're just like, what this, this theme, this tone, none of it really seems to know what it wants to be. And is it going to be this drama, this character development of Tony and the conclusion of his individual saga? And it just kind of flounders, but yeah, C minus, um, that's where we sit with Iron Man three.
All right, everybody, that's going to do it for another episode of the Brad Report. We hope that you dug what you heard. We hope that you will like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, follow us on social media. And until next time, love you 3000.